Praise God. There we are. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, what a blessing. Thank you, Pastor Tafara. Thank you so much for the invite to come and be here and to share with you guys. Uh, both Kathy and I are just really honored to, to be part of what God is doing here. Now, I think the last time I was here, it was like, it's like one service in December, right? And, boy, uh, I tell you, this, I'm just going to leave it hanging. It's okay. It's okay. It's all right. It doesn't want to stick. But uh, the music group. How many of you want to just give the music group a big hand? Hallelujah. I am so impressed. I mean, you're right. The best music group. Hallelujah. Man, your voice is awesome. Hallelujah. It was like great, great. Man, I'm coming back to this church. Amen. Is that okay? <laughs> Amen. Praise God. <clears throat> just before we do start, um, just you all saw uh, the, the books that are available. It's my newest book, uh, Guilt-Free Living, and really highly recommend this book, uh, Guilt-Free Living, for a lot of people believe that, that guilt is actually a Christian emotion, that if you're a Christian, if you're a serious Christian, that, that the Holy Spirit, through guilt, leads you and guides you and makes you feel bad, and that's not true. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says that guilt is evil. He says that, that the blood of Jesus will cleanse you of an evil, guilty conscience. And so, uh, you know, guilt is really a, 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 a terrible thing for people. Now, I'm not talking about not having a conscience, you know, uh, in the sense of knowing when your actions are destructive and, and hurting other people. But when it comes to guilt towards God, feeling that somehow you have offended a holy, righteous God, and feeling guilty towards God is really not a Christian emotion. Amen? And then also go and have a look there. We have uh, uh, the Grace and Faith Thoughts. And this little book, uh, Discover True Love, it's amazing the re reports we get from people about that book. But we want to get straight into the Word of God. If you want to also go to our website, you're free to do that. Our website is just Arthur Menches. See, a lot of Afrikaans people say, oh, you're just trying to be American now. No, I'm just being true Dutch. M-E-I-N-T-J-I-E-S, Menkis. M-E-I-N-T-J-E-S, Chess, Menches. It's, it's, true, it's true Dutch. In fact, Bel it's from Belgium. Hallelujah. So, for those South, so South Africans are always trying to correct other people and say, oh, no, no, he's main, he's main keys. No, I'm not. I'm main chess. Hallelujah. And it's not, that's not Eng Englishified. It's true Dutch. Amen. Praise God. So, go ArthurMainChess.com. You can go on to. Now, if you go ArthurMainKeys.com, you're not going to get there. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. So go and have it and check out all of my teachings. Uh, there are a lot of videos on there. You're welcome to check it out. You can, you can order products, but most of it you can listen to free of charge on our website. Amen. Praise God. Well, get in your Bibles. Let's go there. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now, <clears throat> what I'm going to do here is I want to just quickly get you up to speed for those of you that were not in the first service so that you can, you can just know where we're going with this. Now, there's a lot that I can share, but I cannot go every, over everything I did in the first service. But I want to start off here in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse... Um, let's just go to verse 11, because I, I, I'll skip some of the other stuff, and if you want to go and get the first service's um, recording and listen to it. But verse 11, and this is where uh, the, the, the writer here, uh, Solomon actually, in, in his observations of life and how life is lived, he made, in the previous verses, he comes, he says, you know, what profit is there from the worker's toil? The, you know, the everyday things we do in life, the, the mundane things, the, the, the sometimes boring things we have to do in life in order to get through life. You know, I mean, there's times that I think to myself, why must I take out the trash? You know. <laughs> you know, I do it every week. I do it every time. I mean, Kathy's always saying, why must I do the, wa the wash the dishes all the time? 
you know, there's these things that we do in life that sometimes is mundane and we kind of think is below us. Uh, but he says in verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. In fact, there's things we do and go through life and God uses those things to make your life beautiful and to make your life worth it. But then, this is what I want to draw your attention to here. Verse 11, he says in the Amplified, he says, He, has, he also has planted eternity in men's hearts and minds, a divinely implanted sense of purpose working through the ages, which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. And so what we did in the first service, I addressed this, this reality of, of the fact that if all of us will be honest with ourselves. See, sometimes we can be dishonest with ourselves because we are overwhelmed with life. I call it the grind of life. Anybody know what I mean? It's just the grind. This is like, I've got to grind through this. And sometimes th that kind of a grind of life can kind of mute the knowing in your heart that you are here for a purpose. That you are here with a destiny. And you know, I can go back into my life uh, when I was a young kid. I had moments in which I was, I knew that I knew that I knew that my life will make a difference in other people's lives. I didn't know how. I didn't understand how. You know, I, I, I'm just this morning uh, on, my, on my Facebook page, uh, the, the people that do my, my social media stuff, they, they put out some questions to people, you know, just to see what kind of response. And I mean, all of a sudden, there's this response in there. The question was, you know, where, how, did, how did the message of the gospel of grace become alive to you? And boy, I was so surprised. I mean, there's, there's bunches of people who've come, and a lot of them, you know, have said, well, you know, they, they, they listen to, you know, Andrew Womack. Or they, but a lot of them say, my life was changed when you came to our church. My life was turned the right side up when you came and spoke uh, at, a, at a conference or whatever it is. And I realize, you know, that all of us, there's, every one of us have a divinely implanted sense of destiny and purpose. That your life is worth it. Now, every one of us are different. Now, the, the problem with this is that many times we have opportunities in life where our destinies, our purposes, our dreams are sabotaged through circumstances, situations, other people, what other people do, and, and you know, uh, 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 accidents that happen, or, you know, all that kind of stuff can put your life on hold almost. And a lot of times I find that as Christians, uh, we don't really have a big problem that when those kind of things happen, if you understand that it's not God doing it to you to teach you something, you know, you understand that, that things happen, stuff happens in this world. I don't, I don't say it like the bumper sticker says it, but I say stuff happens, right? Stuff happens in our lives and kind of puts, uh, puts, a, puts a spin on your life, you know? But you've got to understand that that's not God. Now, see, God can teach you things when that happens. But that doesn't mean God did it so that He can teach you. God takes, takes when these things happen, He says, now that, now that we're here, can we learn something from this? And, and of course, that's a great, great place to say, well, I'm going to take a tragedy. I'm going to take an accident. I'm going to take a, a circumstance, situation, and I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to turn this in a positive thing. Now, those are all great things, but I find that most Christians are, are able to trust that God would restore that kind of the destruction that comes our way through circumstances, situations, other people. But what happens to us when, when we are the ones, through our own stupidity, our own selfishness, shoot ourselves in the foot? I find that that's usually where a lot of people will just 
kind of give up and say, well, I guess I did this to myself. And I guess, as I said in the early service, the old saying, you've made your bed, now you lie in it. And we tend to just accept it. And say, oh, well, I just, I, I can't really trust God. And then, you know, in the first service, we went there to, to Psalm 103. And I'm not going to go back there because if I go back there, I'm going to get stuck. You know, but in, in, in Psalm 103, it's beautiful the way he puts it. You know, David, David writing Psalm 103 is not David writing in, in, in the pinnacles of his success. It is David writing in the dungeons of his failures. It's where he's in, in the reaping of what he has sowed. And he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What he's saying is, he says, yes, he's saying, yes, I'm, I'm messed up. But thank God that if we serve God, we know that there are benefits in serving God. And then he makes the statement then in verse 3, and he says, This God who restores or redeems, the word there, redeems your destruction. Hallelujah. Give thanks unto the God who redeems your life. Now, the original language there is not just who redeems your life from destruction, but from your destruction. The destruction you have brought upon yourself. Upon your finances, upon your marriage, upon your, 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 your relationships, whatever it is. He says, I will re- God is the one who will redeem it, meaning bringing it back to its original position. Amen. Amen? And so we saw that also in Romans, that that's where I'd like you to turn with me, or if they can put that up for us, again, in Romans chapter 5. And I'm going to spend a little bit more time here. Um, Romans chapter 5, verse 15. Well, we'll read from verse 14. Now, <clears throat> Romans chapter 5 uh, is where, where I, I see Paul writing, and basically this is out of Paul's own experience with understanding the, 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 the power of God's grace. And what he does is that he um, lays out for us uh, almost a, uh, what would a person call this, uh, a comparison. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask my brother again to come up here. And, and he, uh, most of the time that I've heard people preach the gospel, and, 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 and for a long time even in my ministry, the, my understanding of the gospel was on this line. Um, brother, if you again would come and stand here with me again. And so what's your name? Henry and Tate. Tate will represent Adam. First Adam, Adam in Genesis, all right? Adam and Henry. He will represent Jesus and the, and the finished work of the cross. Okay, so most of the time I've heard people preach this. We've preached the gospel in the sense of saying, Adam, the first Adam, he sinned. We call it the fall of man or the fall of Adam, all right? which had consequences uh, for all of humanity. Adam is always referring to the inclusiveness of humanity. It means that in Adam, all of humanity is represented. Alright? The Bible then also speaks about the last Adam. Jesus is the... Paul said, uses two. He says the second Adam, but then he says he is the last Adam. That means there is no more. Think about this. There is no more Adam after Jesus. Hallelujah. So now, the, the way that we preach the gospel, most of the time or people understand the gospel, is that when Adam sinned, there was consequences for all mankind, meaning it brought man under all condemnation, and sin, right? Got that there? So then God sent Jesus over here, and then Jesus came and restored what Adam broke. Alright? Now, did Jesus restore what Adam broke? Yes, He did, but that's a little bit of what He did. You see, Jesus came, the second Adam's work is 
way more than the first Adam's failure. Okay, you guys can go sit down. So let's, let's read now out of, and I'm going to read out of the Amplified Version. Yes, yeah, so if you don't have the Amplified, I think they'll have it up there, right? And so verse 14, let's just go there. Um, <clears throat> because actually we should go from verse 12, but again, time restricts me here. So we'll go verse 14. He says, Yet death held sway from Adam to Moses. Um, and, and of course what that means is that that when Adam sinned until the law was given, death still held sway over mankind. This is the, the, the lawgiver, even over those who did not themselves transgress a positive command as Adam did. Adam was a type or a prefigure of the one who was to come. Now, who was the one who was to come? He says, this Adam over here is a prefigure of this Adam who was to come. Okay? Uh, in reverse. The Amplified says, in reverse. And that's beautiful because what he's saying is, is that uh, what Adam did over here, he's a prefigure of what the last Adam did, but he was a prefigure in reverse. What Adam broke, yes, Jesus came to fix, but notice what he then says. He says, the former destructive, the latter saving. Verse 15, but God's free gift. Now, we've got to determine, what was God's free gift? Jesus, the last Adam, was God's free gift to us, is not at all to be compared to the trespass. Okay, so what is he saying? He's saying, here, this Adam trespassed. And he says, but... This free gift of Christ is not to be compared to the trespass. So what that means is you cannot compare. See, most of us, we preach the gospel as a comparison to, to Adam's fall. That means what Adam did in the negative, Jesus came to do in the positive. But he says you can't compare them. Alright? The, the, the Amplified goes on and says, His grace is out of proportion to the fall of man. His grace, that means God's grace in Christ and what He accomplished is, is not to be compared. Why? Because it is out of proportion to the fall of man. Okay, so what that is saying is that Jesus and what He accomplished is totally out of proportion from what Adam did. So yes, He did restore, but He went way better, way further and bigger. You know, I said, I said uh, everybody here should be kind of knowledgeable about uh, Little Falls down here. Anybody know about Little Falls? Have you ever been there? I mean, you know, I mean, usually if you go there, it's just a little trickle of water. It can be quite a gushing, you know, if there's been a lot of rain or something like that. But if you take Little Falls and you go to Victoria Falls and you try to compare Little Falls with Victoria Falls, do you understand that Victoria Falls is out of proportion to Little Falls? So if you look at Adam's sin as Little Falls... Then you look at Jesus' work, it's like Niagara Falls or, or Victoria Falls. It is way better and bigger, right? And so what we've learned out of this, and we saw in the previous thing, and I'm going to read some of these things. He says, for if, uh, if many died through one man's falling away, his lapse, his offense, much more profusely the God's grace and the free gift that comes through the undeserved favor of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound and overflow to and for the benefit of many. Oh, hallelujah. So yes, yes, everybody here had the consequences of what Adam did, but he's saying you've got to understand that what Christ did is overflowing. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Verse 16. Nor is the free gift at all to be compared to the effect of that one man's sin. So he's saying that this one man's sin had an effect. And it affected every human being. It brought, it brought sickness, disease, uh, you know, poverty. It was all a, 
it was the effect of one man's sin. He says, but the, 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 the effect of this one man's sin is not to be compared to the effect of this one man. And I love this. He says, for the sentence following the trespass of one man brought condemnation, whereas the free gift following many transgressions brings satis- uh, uh, justification and an act of righteousness. Verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, his lapse, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them in right standing with Himself, reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. So what he's saying is this is when you and I hear the gospel being preached, he says not only are we just going to be, be restored to what Adam lost, we are restored to way, way more. Hallelujah. Amen? Alright, now verse, verse 19. For just by, uh, as by one man's disobedience, failing to hear, heedlessness and carelessness, the many, the term there, the many, is the all. The all that he just spoke about. Amen? He says that um, verse 18. Says, I didn't read verse 18, did I? No. Okay, he says, well then, as one man's trespass, one man's false step and falling away led to the condemnation of how many men? All, all men. So one man's act of righteousness leads to the acquittal and right standing with God and life for all men. Hallelujah. So in verse 19, then he says, just as one man's disobedience, uh, failing to hear, heedlessness and carelessness, um, many, the many were constituted sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be constituted righteous, made acceptable to God, brought into right standing with Him. Now verse 20, and this is what I want to, this is, this is uh, a Paul's declaration. And I'll show you what I mean by that. He says, But when the law came in, only to expand and increase the trespass, making it more apparent and exciting, uh, and an exciting opposition, but where sin increased, everybody say, where sin increased, and abounded, grace, God's unmerited favor, has surpassed it. And, and increased the more and super abounded. Hallelujah. Now, see, this is the, the apparent reality of Paul's experience. And in the first service, I, I quickly went over this. And I'm just going to quickly go over. What, did, what happened to, to, to Paul? He was Saul at that time. He comes and he says, he says I'm going to do God's work. And I'm going to come and I'm going to come against every believer, every Christian. And he goes to Jerusalem and he gets permission by letter that he can go to um, Damascus, right? To Damascus. And, and there, if he finds any Christians there, he can bring them bound to Jerusalem to be stoned, to be judged. Because, you see, he believes... he see. You, you've got to realize that all of us will become like the God we serve. Have you ever noticed how that Christians who serve an angry, judgmental, law God are usually hard and judgmental themselves? They act like the God they serve. Amen? And so what we've got to understand is, is when Jesus comes to show us, and this is what Paul did. Paul goes, he's under the old covenant. He's living, and he, he said, uh, under the old covenant, uh, uh, the law. He says, I'm perfect. You know, Paul said, it's amazing. When I see him, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to him. And so, he says, as far as keeping the law, I was perfect. He says, I stood head and shoulders above my peers. I mean, he's saying, listen, I, I had it all together. Right? And so he's on his way now, and he's, who are these who now call themselves Christian, and they just accept Jesus Christ, and now they want to just lay claim to God. And he goes on the road to Damascus, and, and, and on his way there, the power of God 
knocks him down and the light shines around about him. Now can you imagine in his mind, his view of God, his view of God as God is an angry God, God is a God of justice, you better have it all together. And now God knocks him off the, and he says, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, sir, sir, who are you? I am Jesus, the one you persecuted. I can just see Saul laying on the floor and thinking to himself, oopsie daisy, I've made a wrong move here. Because you see, his view of God is, if you come against God, now the church was God's institution. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So when you come against the church, the people of God, and you're trying to destroy it, then it means that you're coming against God. So Paul understood that, oops, I'm an enemy of God. And so how does God treat His enemies? The same way Paul wants to treat the Christians. And so he's thinking to himself, oh, oh. And instead of God doing what he thought, most probably said to his friends, if you see my mother and my father, you see my friend, tell them I love it. Because he says, I'm, I'm sure God's only going to leave a little wet spot with a curly hair sticking out of it. That's all that's going to be left of me. And, 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 and the voice said, now stand up upon your feet. Go into the city and wait my further instruction." Now, we all know that the further instruction was really getting Paul to become the mouthpiece of the gospel. See, Paul came face to face with the truth of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about the fact that your sin and your failures and the iniquity to destroy your life is never going to be greater than the power of God's grace to restore your life. And boy, I tell you, when he got a hold of that truth, Paul, all of a sudden, it, you see, at first, it will, it will blind you. See, there's a lot of people, when you, when you preach the gospel, you know, I, 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 I preach all over the world, and I go and I do a conference, and I preach, I preach a message that I think, everybody should know this. I have people come up to me and say to me, oh, I have pastors come to me and say to me, oh, Arthur, what am I going to preach now? And I say, what do you mean? Just like, all of a sudden, I, uh, the, the Bible doesn't even make sense to me now. It's like uh, it's, they become blind when they come face to face with the reality of the message of God's grace and His unconditional love. But you see, he received instruction and he goes out and he does this. Now, you know, what I'd like to go on here and I want us to see, and that is that when you and I will trust and believe in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross... The whole outlook changes. Listen to what, what the, the J.B. Phillips translation translates that verse 20. It says it this way. He says, Yet though sin is shown to be wide and deep, thank God His grace is wider and deeper still. Now, brother and sister, listen, this is what I want you to understand. I want you to realize that there's nothing you've done in life. There's nothing you've done in your past. There's no, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you are never out of the reach of God's grace to restore your life, to restore your finances, to restore your marriage, to restore your, your, your friendships, to restore, to restore your society. There, nothing puts you or disqualifies you out of the fact that God is able to do. And, that's, and listen to what he says. He says yet, yet though sin is shown to be wide and deep, thank God His grace is wider and deeper still. That means you might look at your life. You might look at your circumstances. You might look at your past. And you say, this, this issue that I'm dealing with, this, this failure in my life, it, it, it's part of my family. It's part of my society. It runs deep in my, in my psyche. He said, but you've got to understand this. God's grace runs way deeper. Hallelujah. Way deeper than that. Hallelujah. Now notice. He says, he goes on. He says, the whole outlook changes. 
The whole outlook changes. That means that we don't look at things the way that we've always looked at things. Don't, don't look at your failures and expect what you've always expected. Amen? He says, your whole outlook changes. Sin used to be the master of men and in the end handed them over to death. But now the grace of God is the ruling factor. Oh, hallelujah. See, see, before, before Christ, before we trusted Christ, before we trusted the gospel, then, then sin handed us over to death. That means handed us over to destruction, whatever, death to your, to your relationships, whatever. He says, but now when we trust God, the outlook changes. Yes, you say, but Arthur, I made a mistake. I, I failed and I failed. I failed. See, a lot of people say, yeah, well, I, I think God can restore my failures if they were uh, unintentional. <laughs> Let me just ask this. Uh, well, if you, if you sin unwillfully. Listen, let's be honest. When last have you sinned unwillfully? Come on now. I mean, if, if God can only restore and forgive your sin that was unwillful sin, and a lot of people say, well, if it's willful. Man, listen, every time you sin, you made a decision. You made a decision of your own will to do what you wanted going to do. Come on now. Listen, people say, oh, well, God, the reason my life is in a mess because there's sin in the camp. I mean, I, I, I've had many churches, pastors come, oh, well, God, there's sin in the camp and God can't move because there's sin in the camp. And you better look at your life and find out where you're... Listen, you've got to understand something. If, if God can't move because there's sin in the camp, God ain't ever going to move. Jesus came when sin was the above hand. Hallelujah. In the world. When sin was rampant in the world, God moved and sent His Son. See, God didn't send His Son because men were trying so hard to be holy. While we were yet sinners, while we wanted nothing to do with God, God sent His only begotten Son to die for us. Brother and sister, let me tell you something. When we understand that the, that grace now becomes the ruling factor in your life. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. Yes, you're going to have to get up. The Bible says the righteous falls seven times, but gets up, dusts himself off, and lets grace be the ruling factor in his life. Hallelujah. We're going to go on in life. You see, even in the midst of your greatest failures, the grace of God is now the ruling factor. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God's grace will restore your life, will restore your marriage, will restore your finances, will restore your lives, your children. You know, there's some people here, and I know what this is like. You're, you know, you bring up your kids the best way you want to bring up your kids. Now, I, I look across this room, and most of you are still young enough to have little kids. But I see there are a couple of other people who are my age. Amen. Which is very old. <laughs> but you know, you bring up your kids the best way you know how. And you know, then all of a sudden they go and they, they, they make their own way and they don't always go and do what you want them to do. You know, I mean, with my kids, I always tell the story. My eldest daughter who lives here, in, in, in uh, Rudekrantz, uh, uh, Sherry, she, she was almost born, born again. I mean, since a little, since a little, little baby, she, she, she couldn't even walk yet. Hey, I mean, what's it? She was 10 months old. 10 months old and she could speak. And, and, and her first word was, Hallelujah! And, and, and not, you know how some, some people say, Oh, look, at, did you hear my baby said Hallelujah? And you listened and it didn't sound like it. She, she said it so clearly that people in the bank would go. And she couldn't even walk yet. Her first words, hallelujah. She puts her hands up. Hallelujah. You know, I mean, she never gave us a day's problem, really. Ever. Well, she was stubborn. Very stubborn. But, but she still is. Yeah. Amen. 
But, but my other two. See the, see the gray? Yeah. The other two. Gay, I mean, it's a long story, but I was laying in bed one night. Well, one morning. Three o'clock. And I'm, my daughter's out somewhere. I don't know where she is. She would come in three, four o'clock in the morning, drunk, stumbling down the hallway. And I would, I would lay and I said, God, what have I done? What did I do wrong? My son, he went to college and then came back and said, I'm a little educated now. Dad, Jesus is good for you. <laughs> but I know there is no God. I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? What? And I'm, I'm laying there thinking, and the Lord said to me, Arthur, I love your children more than you do. And this is what he said to me. He said, I was able to reach you, Arthur. Why don't you think I can reach them without your help? And I mean, that day I said, <laughs> I just said, okay. I'm not going to worry anymore. Of course I did. But I, I'm not going to worry anymore. It's up to you. And, and you know what? It, it didn't happen overnight. But within, within, within a very short period of time, my daughter went through a tough time. But the day came when she would call me and preach to me. And I was like, who are you? What did you do with Gabrielle? You know, see, my son. Now, he's not all the way there yet. But, you know, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm in, in, in America and I'm sitting there, well, actually sleeping because we're eight, nine hours ahead. No, you are. No? We, they are ahead of You guys are ahead of us. And in and, and, the uh, middle of the night, I get a text. Now, you know, if you get in the middle of the night, you get a text from your son. It's like, well, what's wrong? So now I'm sleeping, got no glasses on, and I look at my, wife, my phone and it says, Dad, God is real. I'm like, hang on. Put my glasses on. <laughs> Am I reading correctly? Yes. He says, God is real. So I'm thinking. Now, he's, he lives here in South Africa. So I'm thinking, I wonder where he is. Maybe he's on some kind of a men's camp with Angus Bucken. You know? Faith like potatoes and all those things, you know? I'm thinking, oh, maybe, maybe that's I said, son, where are you? He said, oh, dad, I'm just here at home. I'm having a couple of drinks. See, my, my, my son says he's having a couple of drinks. He's had a couple already. So I'm thinking, a couple of drinks? He says, I'm watching a movie. I said, oh, well, he's watching Faith Like Potatoes. I said, I said, I said what, what are you doing, son? He says, I'm watching this movie called The Book of Eli. Anybody ever seen that book, that movie? You know, I know some Christians, are, we don't go to movies. But, but the, 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 the Book of Eli... I mean, it's a, it's a violent world, but it's got a great, great message, right? I mean, it's about this guy who fights his way from the East Coast to the West Coast of the United States in an apocalyptic time, and he fights his way with the sword, and, and it's like this Kung Fu stuff, you know? And then he, he gets to the other side, and it's all about him delivering something. And he gets to the other side, to the place where he now is going to deliver what, what he's brought. And then you find out he's blind. You find that he, he, he can't see. And he's fought his way, I mean, against all kinds of odds. And then gets there and starts reciting the Bible from Genesis chapter 1. And he's bringing the, the, the Word of God. And my son was so impressed. And you know, this is what the Lord said to me. He said to me, Arthur, do you see that I can even reach your son while he's having a dopo too? Watching a worldly movie, I can reach him through that. Man, I tell you something. Now, of course, my son, he's, he's grown, he's got children of his own, and now he talks about how blessed he is, and now he understands. That, and, and, and yes, like I said, he's not all there yet. He's, he's got a ways to go. But you know, all of us are on a journey. Hallelujah. All of us are on a journey. And God was able to restore the destruction in their lives and bring out. And today, my son, he's, I mean, I just saw him the other day and I gave him a big hug. He's a big boy. I gave him a big hug like this. 
And I said to him, you know what, I am so proud of you. I'm so proud. Yes, you've gone through some tough times. You didn't have to go through some of these stuff. But you know what? God was able to reach you. And God, and he looked at me and he said, he said, yes, Dad. He says, I know that some of the things that have happened in my life. You know, with him and his wife, they were never supposed to have children. She suffers, uh, and, and when he married her, she had lupus. And so the doctor said, there's no way she can ever become pregnant. They've got three children. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And like he says, he says, it's only, it's only a miracle. Man, let me tell you something. God is able to, re- to, re- to, no matter where you've been. See, the greatest thing you and I can learn uh, from God and from the New Testament is that, uh, that God, uh, I'm going to say this, and I know that people kind of get this conflated when I say this. Uh, and, and that is that the Scripture reveals that God has no expectation of you. God has got no expectation of you. God only has an expectancy for you. Hallelujah. I want you to get... I mean, you know this verse. Jeremiah chapter 29 in the King James and then also in the Amplified. So if you guys can put that up there. Uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Uh, is, that, is that the Amplified? Go with me. If, if, if you can just do the, the, the King James. Well, let me just read it. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. See, God does not have an expectation of you. He only has an expectancy for you. Listen to the Amplified. The Amplified says, I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts and plans. You know, listen, there was a time that I didn't think that God would give me a thought. Even Even as a believer, as a minister, as a pastor, I didn't, there was a time that I didn't think that God would think about me. Because God's got greater things to think about than think about me. And if God ever did think about me, it would be of how He was going to kill me when I messed up. Amen? That's, that's the only, listen, I know it's stupid, maybe you've never been there. But you know, there's a lot of us as Christians, I lived in a time as a believer believing that, that, see, that Jesus is the one who came and saved me from God. Ah, uh, come on. You see, because what we've done, we preach, and again, this is another thing that we've done, is we've preached the gospel, uh, and, and we preach the gospel that God is mad, God is upset, and He is about to just destroy you, but then Jesus came, and Jesus saved you from God. See, we might not say it that way, but that's what we imply. And I mean, there's some people that even preach the gospel in a way of saying, well, you know, Jesus is your asbestos suit. You've got Jesus on, and as soon as you've got Jesus on, you can stand in the presence of God. But if, you, if, if Jesus wasn't there, you'll just be poof, and He'll just destroy you. Now, you know, I don't think that we actually think when we do that. You know, I mean, if that was true, brother and sister, then shouldn't John 3.16 say, for God was so mad, He was so upset, and he was, he was ready to destroy the world, but then He sent His only begotten Son so that He wouldn't be mad anymore. See, we've got this idea that God is sitting up in heaven. I used to, this is how I, I used to think that God the Father, sitting on His throne, He's on the edge. Yes, He's sitting, but He's tapping His foot in impatience with me. And every time I made a mistake, God would go, I'm going to kill him! And grab a lightning bolt, and he's going to throw it and kill me. And then Jesus jumps in between. The blood! The blood! And then, and then God goes, ooh, 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 ooh. He, he can't say, oh God. He says, oh me. Whew. Whew. I almost missed it there. Whew. Thank you for the blood. No, 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 no. You see, God has always loved you. Hallelujah. He says, he, he says, I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts and plans for welfare and peace. 
and not for evil. To give you hope in your final outcome. Hallelujah. God, brothers and sisters, we got to Jeremiah is saying here that God's thoughts are not thoughts filled with expectations of you. But rather his thoughts are filled with an expectancy and a hope for your final outcome. Hallelujah. If God, listen, if God had an expectation of us, he would consistently be disappointed. But therefore, He has an expectancy for your life. Therefore, He is filled with only a, a confident expectation that you will get to where He has purposed you to go. You know, there's no way I'm going to get through this. I thought I could get through this message. But, you know, we've we got to understand. You see... The, uh, e e e Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are His own handiwork, His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined. Now think about this. Which God predestined. You see that word predestined? You, in, 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 in Christian circles, we have so butchered that term. That people are so messed up with that term. The term predestined literally means to plan beforehand. Yeah. That means, listen, God, His thoughts and His uh, 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 ideas for your life, He says, is only for good. That you might, you might, and He says, and therefore in Christ, you are His handiwork, His workmanship. The Greek word, poema. Poema. Some of you might have seen me do this on, 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 in the school teaching. This ring is my poema. This, there is no other ring like this in the world. Because I designed this ring. I designed it. I, I, I had a jeweler make it to my specifications. And there is no other ring like this because this is my creation. Right? Now, if anybody has a ring like this, it's only going to be a copy. This is my poema. This is my workmanship. You are God's poema. Now, what is a poem? What would a poem fall under? Creative? Would it be art? You are God's work of art. You are God's work of art. That's what he's saying here. And God has predestined, that means He has planned beforehand for us, taking paths which He prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life, which He prearranged and made ready for you to live. Brothers and sisters, I want to leave you here today with this reality, with this truth. See, that's why right through the Scriptures, and especially in the New Testament, the Bible is very clear that God is always ready, He's always willing, and He's always able to help you get to where you need to go. Listen, no matter how hard you make it, no matter how hard you make it, God is always and still willing to get you to where you need to go in life. That you can go and experience and have and live the fulfillment of your destiny, which He implanted in your life. Hallelujah. You know, like I said, Kathy and I, we travel all over the world, uh, ministering all over the world. We were in, in the UK a couple of months ago. And uh, if you've ever been to London, Try to drive in London. I mean, it's like roundabout upon roundabout and roundabouts in roundabouts. You know? <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's crazy, you know? And so, but every time I, I rent a car, but it's amazing. You know, we, we, we need to go somewhere. So, you know, we go to an app. It's called the navigation app. And it's amazing how you'd go to that navigation app, you put in the address you want to go to or the 
what do they call it? The, 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 yeah, the location or the, uh, what do they call that number at the end of the, yeah, the code, you know, you put a code in there. Yeah, the, it's the GPS code, but, but the, the, the postal code, the zip code or po- postal code. Put it in there and it just, all of a sudden it says, okay, calculating, and then it comes up and it says, okay, proceed to the route and then turn right and go one mile down, go around the roundabout, second exit, and if you follow that, you get to where you want to go. But, you know, usually with, with Kathy and I, we, we go and we get confused. Now we're going. And, and all of a sudden I take the wrong exit off the highway. Then what does it say? Recalculate. Now, now you know, if you follow the recalculate, it says, okay, continue three quarters of a mile down the roundabout, take the fourth exit. And if you follow that, it will put you back on the track. Now listen. If you and I, as human beings, can develop a way to keep us on track. When we get off track. How much more is God not able to get you back on track when you've got off the track? When you've you've deviated or you have somehow, uh, uh, you know, uh, obstructed your own way. You think that God is, is, is less capable than us? That, that we can develop a way to get back on track again? I don't even know how I drove around places without the GPS anymore. Amen? Man, I'll tell you something, and I want to leave you with this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through to verse 6. This is Paul, and he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun the good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. I hope you guys get this. Notice notice what he's saying. He says, says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who has begun the good work in you, he will be the one to continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that verse, I used to read it like this. He who has begun the good work in you will enable you to keep on going. No, 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 no. He's saying, he says, he has begun the good work and he takes the responsibility to get you to the end. Oh, hello. Listen to the Amplified. The Amplified says, he says, and I am confident, uh, convinced and sure of this very thing. He who has begun the good work uh, in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return. Developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. Man, Atisa, I am so confident that I am going to come to the end of my days and, and, and I can say, like Paul, I have run my race. I have accomplished what God wanted me to accomplish and I have done what I have done and I can now say goodbye. You know what? I can tell you now. You might look and say, well, I don't know how I'm going to get there. Well, He who has begun the good work, He is going to perform it. And all He's asking for you is to do is to trust Him. Is to trust the word of His grace. See, that's why, why Paul... Can I, can I share you one more verse with you? Why Paul in Acts, in Act, uh, Acts chapter uh, 20 and verse 32... Paul coming to the end of his ministry, coming, knowing, he he says, and now brethren, this verse 32, I commit you to God. I deposit you in His charge, entrusting you to His protection and care. And I commend you to the word of His grace. Oh, can't see it. He says, I commend you to what? The, what is the word of His grace? The word. 
the word of His grace. That is, that is the, the logos of His grace. The logos of God's word is Jesus. He's saying, I commend you to the message of Christ and to trust in Him. What he's saying is, if I commend you to the word of His grace, I'm commending you to Christ and His message. And if you trust in Christ and His message, he says, to the commands and the counsels and promises of His unmerited favor, it, it is able. What is able? The word of His grace. He said to me, Arthur, how do I do this? I want you just to continue believing that what Jesus did in your life, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've messed up, that you will dust yourself off and say, you know what, I'm, I messed up. Yes, God, I messed up here. This was stupid. But thank you, I'm righteous. I'm holy. I'm acceptable. I'm your child. I'm blessed above and not, I mean, I'm blessed above and not beneath. No, I'm blessed above and beneath. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. I am, I am the head and I am not the tail. I am above and not under. That's the way it is. Amen. Are you guys with me here? That's what it means to be commended to the word of His grace. That means we can go through life and if we stumble, if we make a mistake, we deviate from what God wants us to do. And you know what? You're all going to do it. You're going to do it. I'm going to do it. But that we can dust yourself off and say, you know what, this was stupid. I'm going on here. Thank you, Father, that, that your word of grace. Now, he says, it is able to build you up and give you your rightful inheritance among God's set-apart ones. Those consecrated, purified, and transformed of soul. You know what, I can tell you, you will get there. You know, Andrew Walmack always says, I'm not there yet, but I'm on my way. You know what? Yes, that's true. I'm not there yet. You're not there yet, but you're on your way. But I can guarantee the Scripture says that if you keep on trusting Jesus and the Word of His grace, it will build you up. And it will bring you to your rightful place. Hallelujah. How many of you received something out of that this morning? Hallelujah. Let's all stand together. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Jesus, for the wonderful truth that you have come. That, Lord, in, in, in this time in which we live, in this wonderful truth of the New Testament, Jesus, you are now the ruling factor in our lives. The grace of God, the grace gift of God to the world has become the ruling factor and the outlook now has changed. Father, yes, what is past is past, and today is the first day of the rest of our lives. And Lord, I thank you that the word of, of, of your grace in Christ is able to build us up and is able to bring us to live as your script, your, the word says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that Father, we will live and live the good life which you prearranged and made ready for us to live. Father, thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you that no circumstances, no situations, nothing that happens around us is any indication that you have withdrawn your favor from us. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pastor. Praise the Lord. Come on, give it up for Jesus. Wasn't that awesome? Come on, just shout with me. Today, today is the first day is the first for the rest of my life. Amen. Brand new. You can put your trust in Jesus and get new instructions to get back on your path. Amen. Well, quickly, we just want to remind you that tonight we are going to be meeting for the fifth day of our prayer, corporate prayer and fasting. Uh, we're going to be meeting at 5 p.m. Amen? 5 p.m. Those of you who are going to come early, we want to encourage you to park right at the back. We didn't anticipate as many people coming for prayer, and it's really been hectic driving out. We all park this side. So if you get here uh, early, Please try and park right at the back so that we can leave the front for 
uh, everyone else who will be coming. Amen. So look at your neighbor and tell them today it's 5 p.m. and not 6 p.m. Monday we're going back to 6 p.m. But today we're going to be meeting at 5 p.m. because we need to fix the menu before we leave. Amen. They have another meeting coming up on Monday. Well, if you are here and you have not put your trust in Jesus by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth, we want to give you that opportunity. You can lift up your hand wherever you are and we will pray together with you and just welcome you into the family of God. Going once, going twice. We are all saved. We are all saved. We are all saved. We are all saved. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, we love you and God bless you. And remember these words from 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight.